Okay, let's begin with a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to be here as we begin. I'm so glad you guys are here for our second segment. How many of you stayed or were here for David's first segment? Okay, so we have a few people here. Awesome, you're staying. Praise God. Let's begin with a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to guide in this session as well. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for being a God who is so faithful to us and for showing us such a beautiful picture of your character. Uh, Father, I pray that you would guide us in this next session, that we would be drawn closer to you and that we would be more motivated uh, to serve you um, out of love and more motivated to be soul winners after your own heart. Father, we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who were here before, tell me what you learned. Can I have, can I have uh, one thing that stuck out to you out of the last, the last session? Okay, Kitze. Okay, making natural friends, it gives you a natural motivation to be friendly with them. Okay, what's, what's another thing that you learned out of the last segment? Anyone else? Yes. Sorry, Alistair. Okay. That you want to minister to. Okay. Amen. Kite. Mentoring is super important. Hmm. Amen. I appreciated that Philip and Nathaniel had a special phrase that they would pray together, and so that's how I knew where to find them. Uh huh. Uh huh. I think that's something that we, if we lack, if we were mentoring, that we need special places to sit through. Huh. Yeah. There was that personal connection, and he knew exactly where to go. He knew who, who he was going to. And I'm sure we all have people like that in our lives. Uh, people who we know we're reaching out to. People, you know, those top ten that you're just praying for with all of your heart. Uh, and, and that's a blessing. I think that one of the biggest focuses, if I'm, if I'm correct, David, was the focus of ministering to those that we love. It's very easy to minister to those that we love. It's not, an, it's, not, it's not super hard mentally because you already have that love in your heart uh, for them. And the question that we're going to deal with today is, how do we have the same love for strangers? Because that could be a little bit harder, honestly. It's a little bit harder to possibly go up to them and feel completely natural from the get-go. And yet when we view them as those that Jesus died for, as those that Jesus loves, there is not a stranger in the world. Amen? There's literally not a stranger in the world. And welcome. Oh, sorry. This is so far forward. <laughs> um, I've been reading through Matthew for my devotions here recently and just finished the book. It was such a blessing to read through Matthew. And if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, we'll be looking at the best example of ministering to strangers, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, he ministered to people who he had never met before, and yet, yes, he ministered to people that he knew their very thoughts, you know. Um, Jesus ministry to strangers. I, I honestly... I can't get over the love and compassion that Jesus had for people when he was here on earth. I can't get over it. Whenever I read Matthew, I am blown away once again by his attitude towards humanity. It's something that I don't naturally have. 
naturally, when I get tired, I don't want anyone around me. You know what I mean? You just want to go home and sleep, and you don't want to see anyone. But Jesus had a totally different personality, motivation in his service. And I think of that, actually, there's a story I'll share with you before we get into reading some verses in Matthew. We'll be starting, by the way, in Matthew chapter 4. So if you want to keep it open to Matthew chapter 4. I was in Nicaragua, and I was doing some evangelism there. Uh, Went down. How many of you have heard of Share Him? It's, uh, okay, awesome. Has anyone done a Share Him? Okay, where'd you go? Nice. Praise the Lord. God is so good. Share him is a blessing. You're able to go into another country and, you know, preach all through the doctrines and and share Jesus with them and see what happens at the end. I was touched by the genuine love that I received in those other countries, though. I, I have not felt that love anywhere else in the world. I can guarantee it. Um, except for with my closest, closest friends. You know, those are the ones that have shown me that kind of love. But when I came to Nicaragua, I found that <laughs> the, the person who drove me to the meetings back and forth every night, he'd pick me up from my hotel, and then he would take me in to the place where I was supposed to preach. Um, in Mara- it, was, um, in, it was in Nicaragua. That's where we were at. He, he took me back and forth every night, and I found out halfway through that he had given up his job to become a tax driver so that he could have a vehicle to take me back and forth. Right before, right before we come, he's like, I'll surrender my job. No worries. I'll go be a tax driver. That's fine. So he would drive during the day to earn enough money to pay for gas to use the vehicle that he was renting to take me to the meetings. Praise the Lord, huh? Such dedication. Another, another group of ladies in the church, they would always put my, um, my sermon title up on the wall. And they didn't, you know, anyone who's a teacher, the, you know those little pop-out letters that you can, like, paste up on bulletin boards and stuff? They didn't have little pop-out letters, you know. They cut them by hand every night for whatever we were doing, and they would do them in different colors every night, you know. But they were spending all of their time doing that. Um, when I was preaching there for church on Sabbath, like halfway through the meetings, they told everyone to separate into groups, and they said it in Spanish, so I didn't know what was going on. But I kept hearing my name popping out of all of these groups, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're taking every 30 minutes today, and we're praying for you and for the meetings. You know, just such dedication, such love. And, and I started to, to see the difference between their self-sacrificing genuine love and my heart. And I see, I've seen that in Jesus' life as well. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 4, and we're looking at verse um, 18. You know the beginning of Jesus' ministry? Uh, he was calling the disciples, and he said in verse 19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And this is the beginning of his ministry. He's having disciples join him. And if you go all the way through 23 through 25 of chapter 4 of Matthew, it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And his whole, his whole existence was to bless humanity. And that's what he lived his life to do. And when I see that, it's interesting. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 8. 
We're just going to be going through Matthew. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1 through 4. Powerful experience. Here Jesus is. It says, He came down from the mountain and crowds followed Him. A leper came to Him and bowed down before Him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out His hand and touched Him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately His leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Here Jesus touches a leper, and the leper is completely healed. Now imagine, I mean, leprosy, what happens when someone gets leprosy? What happens? Their skin is falling off, okay. What else? You can't feel. Right, you start losing your sense of touch, and that can cause you to have major um, problems like losing fingers, losing toes, losing random things. You know, like if I've heard stories of, you know, third world countries where, you know, a, a mice could come in and be gnawing on your toe and you wouldn't feel it type thing. Um, but here, imagine you haven't been able to feel for so long, and the first touch you feel is that of Jesus. And that touch completely heals you, and your whole life is completely changed. That's the kind of ministry Jesus was doing, a completely life-changing, altering ministry. He, it, continuing on, right after that, he healed a centurion's servant. Uh, the man came pleading to him. Jesus' heart goes out to him, and the servant is healed. Um, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14 and 15, uh, they come into Peter's home. And right away, what does Jesus see? The first person when he walks in. He sees Peter's mother-in-law, right? First thing, right when he walks in, he notices the person who's hurting. <laughs> and he goes and does ministry. I'm sure that they were going there to hang out a little bit, right? Just to get some rest, to, you know, to have that kind of experience. But here, he comes in and he goes to her and he touches her. And she's made well. Her fever left her. That evening, the whole town heard about the healer, and they came out to find relief. Verse 16. It says, When evening came, they brought to him many, and he healed all who were ill. At the end of a day of work for me, I'm not ready to go heal people, naturally. I'll just be honest with you. You know, my this summer, working with the students during the summer, I usually would finally get to sleep by 11 or 12 every night, you know, and have to wake up super early again to start it all over again. But I can guarantee you that my natural, selfish heart does not want students to come needing ministry at 12 midnight. I'm ready to go to bed. But here, at evening, they come to Jesus, and he has compassion on them. This is the kind of shift that needs to happen in our minds. We may have that love for our family, but when will we have that love for the person on the street that we don't even know? When will we be motivated out of our comfort zone to reach out to someone when we don't feel like it? That's, that's what shift is all about. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 1 and 2, if you keep your finger in Matthew and go to Luke chapter 15, there's a verse that sticks out to me and encourages me. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. 
powerful verse. Luke 15, 1 and 2. It's interesting. Jesus, Jesus was accused in Matthew chapter 9. It says, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right away he's accused because of all this ministry that he's doing to all of these people that are untouchables, the untouchables of society. And it's as if he's doing something wrong, you know, by going and ministering to them. Uh, but here in Luke chapter 15 and verse 1 and 2, it's powerful. It says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. They wanted to hear Jesus. Why? Because he took time to minister to them. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that this man receives sinners and eats with them. Has he received you and ate with you? I believe, though, in many ways, it's very clear from the Pharisees' viewpoint that Jesus' method of ministry was socially unacceptable. It really was. The way he ministered, it was socially unacceptable. Um, but it was free from prejudice. It was one that said, I'm willing to go and help anyone who needs help because I have an unfailing love for that person. And naturally, I don't have that kind of love. I have to pray for it every day. And when God gives it to me, my life in turn is filled with blessings. In turn is filled with so many blessings. I remember um, the, the idea of the untouchables. For the past few Thanksgivings, I've um, taken time. A friend brought up the idea, like, why don't we go, instead of having a big Thanksgiving dinner, why don't we go and um, stalk homeless people and give them food, you know, for Thanksgiving and just eat just a little bit, but go out and, like, give out glow tracks and, and food, you know, <laughs> to, to help other people on Thanksgiving Day. And, you know, I thought, okay, that's fine. And so we all decided to not eat. We wanted to not eat at all until we had given food to someone else. You know, we're like, let's go and give food to them. We were so hungry. I, I was like, man, I'm so tempted to eat that food in the bag. But I'm like, no, they made, you know, like, no. It was such a good experience, I guess, to think about that. But I remember we came, we were coming down um, Blackstone Drive in Fresno. And that's where tons of homeless people are in some parts. And we were just coming down and, you know, we, would, we were in a van, obviously, and we'd pull over and they'd be like, what are you doing, you know? But we'd hop out right away and we'd say, here's a gift for you. And we found one man stuck behind, <laughs> we found one man stuck behind a garbage, um, you know, container. And he was sitting there, he was obviously drunk. It was hot. His hands were gross, grimy, sticky. He smelled horrible. And I was with one of my friends, and we both went up to him, and we gave him some food, gave him a water bottle, and we said, hey, we'd like to pray with you, you know, that God will give you freedom. We, we were praying with lots of people that they'd have freedom from addictions that day, just that they would be able to, to get back on their feet and not ever have to be in that position again. And as... You know, as we were about ready to pray, my friend held out his hand, and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to hold his hand, like, you know, the homeless person, and I was like, okay, let's do it. So we all held hands, and it was like this grimy, gross hand, you know, and I remember getting back in the car and wanting hand sanitizer. <laughs> Lord, help us. 
Why can't we just love them? Why couldn't I just love them? You know? Who cares if I get dirty? Who cares? Exactly. Yeah. How long had it been since someone had hold it, held his hand? But I believe that's what Jesus would have done. And I don't think he would have asked for hand sanitizer. You know? Because his heart was so filled with compassion for humanity, he wanted to serve. I looked up uh, the word compassion, and it means a deep awareness of the suffering of another coupled with the desire to relieve it. Compassion moves you to do something. You can't just, you can't just do nothing if you're compassionate. You know, you, 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 you're moved <laughs> to, do, to do something else. And I see that in Matthew chapter 9 as well. If you go back to Matthew, continuing through our Matthew trek, looking at Jesus, Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38 is very clear in this respect as well. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Compassion moves you to relieve the suffering of someone else. And this isn't, I mean, I know I'm talking about physical suffering, but I know that it goes much farther than that. There's emotional suffering that people go through. There is spiritual suffering that people go through that can totally be relieved by the balm in Gilead. Amen? There is, there is something that we have that they need. Absolutely, in every, in every aspect. Um, I believe that, that Jesus is very holistic. He wants to heal physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He wants us to be completely whole people. And, and so that would mean that we should be complete, complete missionaries, right? <laughs> it would mean that we're, we're willing to help them in whatever area they're needing help in. It's such, it's such an interesting thing that Jesus wouldn't keep doing ministry just by himself because right after this experience, right after he says the laborers are few, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, he right away, he says, okay, I want you to go and do what I just did. And he sent them out as disciples. He had been mentoring them, teaching them. Um, he continues healing, uh, all, all of that kind of stuff. He, he continues healing throughout the rest of Matthew, Matthew 11, 12. And another highlight that I want to point out is Matthew chapter 14. Uh, this is something that stuck out to me as I was studying through this, this gospel. I love studying through books and seeing like the, the big panorama that you can get when you study a whole book. You can see so much, and it, it was really powerful. But this is the story of the, five, the feeding of the 5,000, and it's starting in verse 13 um, of chapter 14. It says, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. So Jesus had just heard about what? The beheading of his cousin, right? John the Baptist. 
And I'm sure, you know, we, we know from Spirit of Prophecy that he was burdened in his heart, uh, that he needed some time away. And he, he went away, he withdrew. And when the people heard of this, it says they followed him on foot from the cities. Oh, what a crowd. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt what? He felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him. I just love this. The disciples came to him and said, the, hour, the place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. How many times are we like the disciples? There's, there's several times, actually. There was a, there was a um, Canaanite woman running up after Jesus, right? What are the disciples trying to do? Send her away. They're like, go, he doesn't want to talk to you. You know, that kind of thing. Um, another time, little children are coming up to Jesus, and what do the disciples do? No, don't bother him. What does he say? Stop. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Um, so often we are like the disciples. We want to send the people away. You know, in the midst of that time where we're... Desire of Ages says that they, were, they, were, they had come apart to rest a while. Literally. It was vacation. It was retreat. For some of us as leaders, like Christine, David, and I, I think we're the leaders in the room, um, at the end of a summer of 10 weeks of leading these young people and supervising them for 10 weeks straight, being their parents, we go to a retreat for at least two days, you know, to rest. And I've asked them, how would you feel if all your students showed up at retreat? You know what I mean? How would you feel? All your students are there, everyone that you just had to supervise all summer long, and there they are, and they need ministry. They need you to minister to them. They've all just had horrible, the, the, the last two days were horrible back at home. They need you to help them. Would we be willing to minister? Would we still have compassion that would say, no matter how tired I am? It says Jesus, in Desire Rages, it says Jesus took no thought to himself. At that point, right then, he knew how tired he was, but he said, here they are, and I'm going to have compassion on them and heal them. I don't have that kind of love. It doesn't come naturally. It may come in spurts, but do we consistently have that kind of love all the time? Do we need to pray for it more often? That's the kind of shift that we need as the body of Christ. That's the kind of shift I need. Ministry of Healing, page 143, says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. I love this quote because it tells us how we can have true success in reaching people. And one of the first parts is mingling with men. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit in our, next, in our next session, the idea of what it truly means to mingle with them. Um, but the part we're really looking at is as one who desired their good. And when you generally have, com have compassion on them, you're one who 
um, genuinely wants the best for them. I think the biggest picture of Jesus' life um, and the motives of his heart was shown at the close of his life, um, at the cross. That's, I, you, you see it all throughout his life, but then at that pinnacle, when it's, you know, his will or God's will, it was God's will, you know, his Father's will at the end. And that's in Matthew 26. I want to look at this as um, we come here to the end of this little part. Matthew 26. What, what caused Jesus to come here? What motivated him to live his life to bless humanity? Where did that compassion even come from? Where did it come from? Okay. That's who he is, right? His character is love. So naturally he can be nothing but love. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole point. I don't think we do know what love is. I mean, we've experienced love from Jesus in such a powerful way. And if there's anyone in this room who hasn't had a moment where you have been broken by what Jesus did for you on Calvary, I pray that you would pray to have that experience. When you're broken because of what you did, what you did to Jesus, when it becomes so personal <laughs> that, that it hits you, love takes on a whole new meaning. But what caused him to come, what motivated him, we know it was, it was the love that he had for you and me, and that's the kind of shift we need in our hearts. That's the kind of shift that I need. In Matthew 26 and verse 36, we can see... Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Have any of you read Gethsemane and Calvary recently in Desire of Ages? 
I can see why Ellen White says we should spend a thoughtful hour on the closing scenes of Christ's life. <laughs> because the moments in my life where I have not had adequate compassion for those around me have been the moments that I have been the farthest away from that cross experience. The moments where I have not had compassion has been when I have been the farthest away from this experience. Because when you see Jesus wrestling alone against the powers of darkness, you cannot help but give that same kind of love to those around you. It says in Desire Reaches, it says, Behold him contemplating the price to be paid for the human soul. The awful moment had come, that moment which was to decide the destiny of the world. The history of the human race comes up before the world's redeemer. He sees that the transgressors of the law, if left to themselves, must perish. He sees the helplessness of man. He sees the power of sin. He beholds its impending fate, and his decision is made. He will save man at any cost to himself. Praise the Lord, huh? Praise God. I just don't get him. <laughs> Jesus went on to face the Sanhedrin and Pilate and Herod, enduring all kinds of abuse for me and for you. The two thieves on the cross next to him revile him. Jesus gives one thief the assurance of salvation in spite of it. Jesus says those famous words, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He lived his life so unselfishly. And nothing can compare in my mind to this kind of love. Um, and he simply asks us to do the same thing. In 2 Corinthians, I want to look at a verse as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 18 and 19. It says, Now all these things are from God. Verse 18. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Reconciliation. What does that word mean to you? Bringing back together, right? A complete, um, a complete reconciliation. Reconcile, I looked it up, it means to reestablish a close relationship between two things. So here it says, that reconciliation was brought about by Christ for you and for me. And, verse 18 at the end, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's the same idea. You know, whenever I think about it, I think about the idea of uh, you know, one hand being raised up to heaven. That's what Jesus was, right? He was that ladder between earth and heaven. He was that way to the Father. And he wants us to be many ladders of himself, completely reconciling the world. One, one hand holding on to Jesus, one hand holding on to the people below. And the only way that that will be accomplished is if we have a shift in our hearts. Because naturally, when you go to the grocery store, do you talk to strangers? Is it just the person who checks you out for the food? Do you know what I mean? So many times, I'll go, 
I'll go in and out and say not one word to anyone. I may not even smile. How do they even know that I love Jesus? You know what I mean? Seriously. You know, I'm walking past someone on the street. I'm going, I'm going into another business and I walk past them and I don't even make eye contact. Where's the, where are the reconcilers? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where's our heart? The value of a soul, who can estimate it? Would you know it's worth? Go to Gethsemane. And there watch with Christ through those hours of anguish when he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Look upon the Savior uplifted on that cross. Hear the despairing cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that Christ risked all. For our redemption, heaven itself was imperiled. At the foot of the cross, remembering that for one sinner, Christ would have laid down his life, you may estimate the value of a soul. I believe that when we are connected with Christ, that we will value souls just like he did. We will value them the same way that he did. The shift, and I believe, too, another phrase that, that we use a lot with shift is, a shift in the mind comes from a change in the heart. The only way that you can have a different mindset when reaching out to strangers is when your heart has been changed by the love of Jesus. We need to stay so close to the cross that it overflows into the life that we live. We will feel for others that same deep love that Christ has felt for us. So in closing, I believe that the only way that we will be able to do ministry is if we have the heart of Jesus. I know the church right now, we're, we're faced with empty pew syndrome. We're trying to figure out methods of doing evangelism and ministry. And that's why there's groups of people here at iShare trying to figure out how to make it happen. What are we going to do? Are we going to go knock on everyone's door? Are we going to, you know, what, what are we going to do to actually go out there and fill these empty pews with people who love Jesus and who have a living relationship with him? But really, the issue of our church is a heart issue. The issue of our church is we don't have hearts that love people. We don't have hearts that love Jesus. And there's an issue that needs to change. We need to come in contact with the heart shifter who can completely change our mentality and teach us to meet and mingle and minister to the needs of those around us and share with them the relationship that we have. But it starts, I believe, with our hearts. It starts with you. It starts with me. I mean, I'm preaching at myself right here because I know the days where I need a heart shift. It's like I'm not on the right, I'm not on the right plane. I need the Lord to give me love. And I'd like to take some time here as we close to just pray for that. Um, <clears throat> this message is simply the idea um, of doing ministry, the only way that we can look... Um, and the only way that we can do ministry is if we look at every human being the way Jesus does. And the only way we can do that is if we pray for it and seek it with all of our hearts and not live an indifferent life. Because ministry is not an event. It's the way you live. It's who you are. It's how you shine. And if you're not shining, there's something wrong inside.
we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for our church. And so if we can take some time, just get in groups of maybe um, three or four, and let's pray, number one, for yourself. Because, and I need this just as much as you do, but we need to pray that the Lord will give us that deep, undying love for humanity like he had that took him to the cross, that took him to heaven. He's still ministering for us. When we go to sleep at night, Jesus is still working. You know, he's, he's living his whole life to save us. And we think about saving other people how many minutes of the day. You know what I mean? Like, that's all he thinks about. And we're thinking about it so little. So how can we personally change? And then please pray for our church. That we will have this kind of shift in our hearts. That it will start, that it will start right here in every human being. And I, I just believe that it boils down to our own personal relationships with Jesus that they need to be deepened. So let's take some time to pray for that. And um, as, soon as, as soon as we're done with prayer, it'll just be the break time before um, we'll do our last segment. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.